Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. Well, good morning, One Hope Church. My name is Pastor Misty Short, and I have the honor to be able to stand and bring God's word to you this morning. We're thankful that Pastor Scott has the opportunity to spend the holiday with his family. But since this is my first time to get to come to you on a Sunday morning like this, I wanted to start off just by telling you a little bit about who I am. My husband and I have been here for about one year now at One Hope Church, and we're really excited. We have loved being here. But we've been married for about 11 years now, and most of that time has been spent here in Tuscaloosa. We did a one-year special assignment away, but we are back now to be a part of this family. So I've got some pictures to be able to show you. The first one is when we were babies, when we got married right out of college. Um, And then if you... I think my husband maybe looks familiar. We can go ahead and look at the second picture. He's the one that you normally see waving and smiling at you in the parking lot. And so um, not everyone has put the two of us together just yet, but we've got another one that maybe will look a little bit more like we currently do. There we go. So we do love spending time with each other. Um, We love being out on the golf course. That's a new hobby that we're learning together. Bowling. um, One thing that we love to do is escape rooms. So he has an engineering background, and with my accounting background, you can imagine that we like problem solving and fixing puzzles and stuff like that. But there's one thing that you have to know if you ever want to do an escape room with us, which we would love for you to do. But if you do it with us, you have to know that we currently have a flawless escape record. We always have gotten out. So if we go with you and we don't get out, we're blaming that on you. So just just know that ahead of time. But we don't have any children. What we do have is a foster cat through the Humane Society. This is Lily. She is about to be 16 years old, which means in like human terms, she's approaching 80. So my vet calls her the spicy senior. I call her just our lovable grandma. And so um, she is very affectionate most of the time, but sometimes she lets us know when she's had enough. But, But we do enjoy having her in our family. Now, a lot of times people have wanted to know, Misty, what's your role? What do you do here at the church? And so my position is called stewardship pastor, and what that allows me to do is, first of all, I am kind of functioning like what you would think of as an accounting director, so all things finances, whether that's things that are coming in, expenses that are going out, as well as payroll and monthly reports and all of that. But one of my favorite parts of my job is when I get to meet one-on-one with individuals or with couples who are struggling with their finances and they're trying to be able to put budgets together and they're trying to make a plan that honors God in their finances and what they have been entrusted with. And so know that that is something that is available to you. If that's something that you ever want to get together and discuss, that's why I'm here. I'm not here just to record transactions. I am here in a pastoral ministry role. And so I would love to have that opportunity to be able to meet with you if that's something that ever comes up or that you need in your life. So, to catch you up to speed on where we've been, because I know we've got some special guests in the room. We've got those who are here for the first time, and if that's you, then I would love if you'd take that connection card that Bill mentioned out to the Welcome Centers and get a gift. But we also have Family Worship Sundays 
the, throughout the year and where we have our friends that are normally in kids spot. So whether you're attending online right now or if you're in the room, if you're normally in kids spot, will you wave at me so that I can see that you're here? I've got lots of friends here. Oh, yay. I heard you guys were coming. So I'm so glad that you're here. Now, if this is your first time in this room because you've been in kids spot or maybe you've just not been here in a few weeks, we're going on a journey right now. And the journey that we're going on is through the parables and through the stories of Jesus. Jesus taught in a lot of different settings. He taught in a lot of different ways. But one of the things that he did a lot was he used stories to be able to preach his messages. And so one of the things that we've been doing is we've been looking at parables. Now, a parable is a story that teaches a lesson. And so you may have heard maybe the story of the boy who cried wolf, for example. So we know in that story of the boy who cried wolf, this little boy was out in the meadow and he got bored and so he wanted attention and even though there was no wolf, he cries wolf, wolf. And the villagers come to try to rescue the sheep that he's looking out for and there's no wolf. And so they go off frustrated. The next day, another time he gets bored and he cries wolf, wolf. And there's still no wolf. And the villagers come, and they're frustrated, and they have to go back because they came for no purpose. Well, the next day, he cries, wolf, wolf, because this time, there was a wolf. And this time, no one came to help him out. And the whole point of that parable, the whole point of that story, is to teach the importance of always telling the truth and never telling a lie so that our word can always be believed. But now I could have stood up here this morning and I could have said, you know, Ashley, it's always important that you always tell the truth, that you never tell a lie. And you'd probably forget about the time you went to lunch today. But you probably are going to remember the fact that I told you the story of the boy who cried wolf. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus told stories so that we would remember the lessons. We may forget the exact principles, we may forget the exact little phrases that might be said, but we remember stories. And so as we go through our journey today, we're gonna pick up on a story that Jesus told really when it was about to be the end of his life. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, you can look in Matthew 25. I'm gonna set this up for just a moment. Because leading up to this story, leading up to this parable, Jesus was becoming very outspoken against the behavior of the Pharisees. The Pharisees had lived these outwardly religious, extravagant lives, showing how they gave, showing how they fasted, showing how they prayed. And on the outside, everything looked amazing. But on the inside, they were dead. And so Jesus started calling out their hypocrisy, and of course that didn't go over too well with them. And so the Pharisees started creating a plan to get rid of Jesus. And it's in this season where he is about to be betrayed in about 48 hours. And the disciples are knowing that the end is coming, that they begin to ask, how do we live? What are we going to recognize for the end times? How do we live when it gets closer to the end? And so Jesus' response to his followers, to his disciples, was to tell a set of stories and this is one of those stories that he told. So in Matthew 25, verse 14, we're going to read the parable of the talents. It says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, 
To another he gave two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents went and gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gone and gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a pretty intense story that Jesus just told in that moment to set up how do we live in the last days? How do we live in the end times? And so as we get ready to go on the adventure of exploring this story and learning exactly what it was that Jesus wanted to teach us, I want to start by looking at the two different sets of characters that we have. The first we have is the master. We have the master who is Jesus. And then we have the servants, and the servants are the followers of Jesus. Like I said, when Jesus was telling this story, he was just a few days from being betrayed and crucified, and he knew that his time on earth was coming to an end. He knew that he needed to prepare his followers to live during that time. And that's where we find ourselves today. We're still living in the time between Jesus' first time on earth and the end of times. So with the time that we have left, here we are in the middle. With the time that we have left, how should we be living? With the opportunities that we have, I think we know that we're waiting on something that there's something that we should be doing to prepare. Like, you're getting ready to have a baby, and you know that the baby is coming. You're not exactly sure when, but you know preparations have to be made. The challenge that Jesus gave us in this parable is how do you prepare? What does life look like when you know that something is coming, but you're not exactly sure when to expect it? And to answer this question, I think we have to start by learning about the master because the master owned everything. And he owns everything, but he chose to entrust it 
to others while he was gone. And there's so many things that we have been entrusted with that we start to take ownership of. You know, Andrew and I have a joint bank account. That account is in our name. And so I can spend the money, I can withdraw money, I can pay bills, I can transfer, I can put money in that account. No one really cares what he and I do with our money. But I'm also listed on the bank account for the church. And part of my role here at the church is to manage and to steward the money of this congregation, of you. And I can't just take money out because I want to. I can't spend it on whatever I want to. I can't go on a shopping spree with that money because that money doesn't belong to me. But so often, we find ourselves thinking that we're the owner when in reality, we're the manager. God, Jesus, has entrusted this with us. He owns it all, but he's allowed us to manage portions of it on his behalf. So how do we manage what's been entrusted to us? And when we look at the servants, because we're going to learn from them, how do we manage what's been entrusted to us? We see that the master gave out talents according to their ability. And when we think of talents, we often think of special gifts or special skills, like she's really talented at math or she's really talented at playing the piano. And it can mean that. But in Jesus' context, talent was a unit of currency, kind of like we have a dollar or we have the euro. And so when he was speaking, they would have understood the magnitude of what we were talking about. Because when I first read this parable, I thought it was a little unfair, maybe, that someone would only be given one talent to work with. But then scholars have different opinions as to what this could have actually meant. But one theory is that one talent is actually worth 15 years worth of wages. So two talents is worth 30 years. Five talents could be worth 75 years worth of wages. And being entrusted with 15 years worth of anything is not a lot to take for granted. We shouldn't take it for granted. It's so much more than what I would have originally thought when I first read that he had been entrusted with one talent. So now here's the thing. Every one of us in this room, and those of us who are attending online today, we're going to find ourselves in this story as one of those servants. We're going to be either the one talent, or the two talent, or the five talent. And I don't know where you are. I don't know what character you identify with in this story. But as we go on to talk about these characters over the next few minutes, see if you can identify where you are. And when we look at the five and the two talent servant, kind of group them together, we don't know exactly how long that they have walked with the master. We don't know how long they have worked for him or what that journey had been like. But there are a few things that we do know. One thing that we know is that they obviously had a good relationship with the master. We know that they had been tested in the past. We know that they had grown in their ability to be trusted. We know all of that because they were each given more than the one talent to work with. So there was a history there. There was some type of trust that had been built up. And what I love about these two characters is that they both made the best with what they had been given. They traded, they worked, they used what they had been entrusted with. 
And when the master came home, they were so proud to show him what they had accomplished. Both of them heard, well done, my good and faithful servant. But then we look at the one talent servant. And the one talent servant has this harsh wake-up call that I don't think he even really saw coming. Honestly, my heart breaks for this one talent person because I think he was unaware of the judgment day that was coming until it was too late. In this story, it's likely that the master was gone for so long that he never thought the master was coming back. And so in an attempt to look out for himself, he did what he wanted to do. He did what he thought was best rather than doing what the master would have wanted. But then the master does come. And he's seen Mr. Five-Talent Person. And he's seen Mr. Two-Talent Person be called up and be rewarded for the way that they had managed what they had been entrusted with. And I just imagine that he's standing kind of off in the shadows because he's had to go dig up that money now. He's probably dirty, not wanting to be seen, not very proud of what he had done and accomplished. And I just imagine him being in the back. And he sees them be rewarded. He sees them be acknowledged. And then all of a sudden he realizes that his moment is coming and he wasn't ready. He wasn't prepared. And then he gets called forward. And before he can even say anything, he realizes the weight. And he goes, Master, I know that you have high standards and I, you hate careless ways. I know that you demand the best. You don't make any allowances for error. I was so afraid that I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place and I secured your money and now here it is, safe and sound, the very last cent, it's all here, just like you left it. And what the one talent servant thought was that he had done the right thing, that he had been so careful. He played it safe, he lived this perfect scenario. He might not have lost anything, he didn't really gain anything, he thought it was all going to balance out in the end. And yet, at the very end, he still fell short. I wonder how many of us in this room today share his same extreme view of the master. We see him as perfect and holy, and so we assume that then he also demands that same perfection of us. We know that he is good, and we know that he is righteous, and so then we hold ourselves to that same standard of thinking that we can never screw up, we can never make a mistake, that everything in our life has to be perfect. But what I want to tell you today is that God is not asking us to live a perfect life. He's asking us to live an obedient life. When the master gave out the talents, it didn't come with, now don't screw up, don't mess up. Get it all right. Always seeing growth. I read this story, I don't know how many times this week, and I don't know in how many different translations. Not once did I hear it come with the instructions of, you better always get it right. Not once. Somehow, the one-talent servant had probably gotten this idea in his head that the master was harsh and, and unreasonably strict and cruel and demanding. 
and so afraid of that kind of a response from a master like that. He didn't even do the minimum that he could have done. Paralyzed by fear, he just got stuck. I don't know where it came from, but his behavior, his actions, all started because he had an incorrect view of the master. And I wonder how many of us may also have an incorrect view of the master. If we have that incorrect view, something has to change, something has to shift. But what I want to make very clear is that pleasing the master has so little to do with how much we accomplish. The two-talent person and the five-talent person both received the exact same reward because they had both done what they had been asked to do. They both had stewarded and protected and cared for the resources of the master. But I think even the one-talent person had the same opportunity. He wasn't set up to fail. And I wonder if he had even tried. Would he have also been called good and faithful? Whether when the master came, he had actually increased or maybe he had decreased, he would have at least made an effort. I believe that if he had taken even just the one simple step, that there would have been a reward. Because what pleases the master is that they had taken steps of faith. There's probably an element of risk involved as they went out to try to double their investment. I wish I could just put my money somewhere that would immediately double and not have to wait on it, not have to work on it, where there was no risk and it just instantly doubled. I don't think that exists. I don't think that's what they experienced. We know that the master was gone for a really long time, and in that really long time, eventually it doubled. But I have a feeling that there was probably moments where what they had had grown in value and decreased in value, and grown in value and decreased in value again, and that ultimately, by the time the master got back, it had been worth more. We don't know how long they were given. We don't know how much time that they had. We don't know how long this process took. In the same way, we don't know how much longer we have. We don't know how many years left, days, months. We don't know how much time we have left here either. So how do we live this out? How do we live like the two or the five talent servant who's always ready no matter when the master returns. Our view of the master, our view of ourselves, the relationship that we have with him impacts so much of how we do what we do. If the relationship with God is not good, then we can find ourselves pulling away and distancing ourselves from him. But if the relationship with God that we have is good, then we're able to enjoy being in his presence. We get to come and experience the joy of the master. And when we're in that place, we're not as worried and we're not as concerned about what if I take the simple misstep because we know that his love is there. We know that there's a safety net, that we're doing our best to try to honor him and all that we have, but that there's still a safe place there. The two and the five talent servants were both called good and faithful. Aren't those words that we all long to hear? 
Sometimes it's like putting a puzzle piece together. You've got all these pieces, all these different shapes and colors, and, and you're trying to match up just the right piece. And so we turn the pieces, or we have to swap pieces out to find what the right fit is. But God has a plan. He has a plan that's unique for you, just like every single puzzle piece is uniquely cut out. And there's an order that he wants you to follow to be able to live the life that he has called and created you to live. But we have struggles sometimes. And one of our struggles can be that we ourselves have an unhealthy view of the master. And if we see him as harsh and cruel and demanding and unloving, then we're not going to have that good relationship because it's going to be based in fear rather than based in his love. Maybe we have an unhealthy view of ourselves and we think that we can't be even be trusted. If God gave us something, we couldn't even be trusted to handle it. So we just eliminate ourselves from being able to take care of anything that God may want to give us. Or maybe we feel like we've not been given enough to actually make a difference. Maybe we don't know where to start. Where do we go from here? We avoid the topic. We just choose to not even go there. But there's a solution. And the first thing that we need to do is we do need to establish a healthy view of the master. Now, I don't know where some of us have gotten our ideas of who God is like. For some of us, it was our earthly fathers. Maybe you didn't have the best representation of what a good father, a good God is like. Maybe you've been hurt by church leaders and who you thought a church leader should be ended up being the exact opposite of who a church leader, of who a minister or pastor should be. Maybe you've heard phrases like, you'll be struck by lightning if you do this, or God's judgment is coming on you. And if you've heard any of those things and bought into any of those things, I want you to know that he is kind, and he is gracious, and he's someone that you don't have to be afraid of. And if you've never entered into that healthy relationship with him before, I want you to know that he is ready and he is waiting to enter into that relationship with you. But once that's established, because we have to start there, we can't go any farther until we have the healthy view of the master. But once that's there, then we take inventory of everything that we've been entrusted with. A lot of us look at stewardship and we think that it's only about money, only about finances, but there's so much more that God has entrusted to us. And the first thing that I want to talk about for just a moment is our relationships. What relationships has God entrusted you with? Maybe you think you don't have that many, you don't have that many friends, or you're not in a level of leadership to be entrusted with a relationship. But for a moment, think through who are your friends? Who do you work with? Who do you go to school with? Who's in your sphere? Look around the room. Who do you know? Who has recently gone through a divorce and you've been there and you can encourage them? Who's a young parent and you have been in the role of a young parent and you know how to encourage and give wisdom? We have teenagers, we have young spouses, we have newlywed couples. All of this 
have someone, maybe only one, but all of us have someone that we could encourage and steward the relationship that God has given us. We've got time. We all have the same 168 hours in a week. And our calendars all look very different. Some are retired, some work full-time, some stay at home and work full-time. We have all sorts of different calendars. And my job today is not to tell you how your calendar should look. That's impossible. But my job today is to ask you to ask God, does my calendar look the way that you want my calendar to look? Are there things that I need to add? Are there things that I need to take away that will bring you honor and bring you glory? Finances is a part. But God, how am I using the resources that you have given me? Does how I spend my money daily, weekly, monthly, annually, is how I am treating the financial blessings that you have entrusted to my care. Does it bring you honor? Does it bring you glory? And then we have things. I think most of us have a home to go to tonight. We have vehicles. We got here somehow. We have possessions. And I'm not against having things, but everything that we have, we need to recognize, comes from God and should be used to give him glory. And even beyond that, you've got things that you're just naturally good at. You've got passions and you've got special abilities. Things that you can do that you do so much easier or so much faster than others that you know. God gave you every single one of those gifts and abilities to be used for him. So after we've taken inventory of everything that we've been entrusted with, and that's where we come with our list and we acknowledge, God, you are the owner and we are the managers. And even watching our vocabulary, rather than talking about my house, my car, my money, my whatever, what if we even changed our perspective with, God, how do you want me to use your money today? How do you want me to use this relationship? How can I speak to this person that you love so much? Don't disparage what may seem like a small amount. Don't disparage what may seem like, oh, I've just got the one talent. Because that one talent may be so much bigger than you ever imagined. The last point would be to finally submit your will to his will and be willing to take a risk. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so in order to be able to live a life that brings honor and glory, where we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, there's an element of risk and there's an element of faith that it takes. As you can imagine, I'm really not a big risk taker in most of my life. When it comes to technology, I would be a very late adapter. You know, I'll upgrade my phone every three or four years until it just can't make that last update without falling apart. And then I jump like six years into the future and wonder what happened. Risk is not something that I enjoy. It's not something that just brings me energy and I don't get this adrenaline high by taking risks. It was about a year and a half ago that I met a pastor named Scott Moore who had agreed to a 30-minute meeting with this seminary student to help her with a project all about preaching. 
And that 30-minute conversation, if you know Scott, quickly turned into a 90-minute conversation with my husband wondering what in the world has happened that they're talking about for so long. And in that conversation, Scott looked at me and he said, you know, Misty, following Jesus takes risk. And I said, Scott, I don't, I don't do risk. I'm very happy with my organized and structured and planned out life. I thought I knew where I was headed. I thought I knew what things were going to look like and where I was going. I don't do risk. And I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with someone that maybe to the other person just seemed like this is a normal conversation. But for you, it changed everything. And that conversation was one of those life-changing moments for me. Because after I shot back that I don't do risk, I don't like risk, Scott looked at me and he said, Misty, we have to be willing to take a risk in following Jesus. If you're not willing to take a risk in following him, are you actually following him? Or are you just trying to add him onto everything else it is that you're already doing? Ouch. And I wrote it down. I have it in my notebook from that conversation that I go back and look at. And I wish I could say that I just instantly wanted to go and make everything different, but it took a little bit. And he ended our conversation that day by saying, Misty, if you're really willing to follow Jesus no matter what, then here's the prayer that you have to pray. God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, my answer is yes. And here's where the risk comes in. The risk comes in because you pray that prayer not knowing what he's going to ask you to do next. If you have the plan and then you pray the prayer, it's not really faith. But when you're willing to pray, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, no matter what it is, my answer is yes. That's a prayer of faith that pleases the master. And so it took a few days. I went home and I thought about it, and I'll be honest, I didn't sleep really well for the next few days because I knew. I'd been a Christian for so long that I knew that there was another step that I needed to take. And so when I did finally pray that prayer, I prayed it not knowing what was next. And as a result of my praying that prayer, I changed cities, came back to Tuscaloosa. I changed jobs, changed churches. So much of what I knew about my life at that moment over the next six weeks, honestly, got ready to change. But it didn't matter what he asked me to do because my answer was going to be yes. And I don't know what that yes may mean for you. Maybe that means you take someone to coffee. Maybe you invite a young couple into your home for a meal. Maybe you move across the world. I don't know what God may ask you to do if you're willing to pray that prayer. But today you have the opportunity to decide, are you going to live life like I own my own bank account, where I control every decision of what happens? Or are you going to live life the way I manage the bank account for One Hope Church? where it's not up to me, where there are other people who speak into that, where there's a leader who speaks into that. 
If you're willing today to pray that prayer that says, God, I'm willing to do anything that you ask me to do, know that that comes with some risk. But after that, then you can ask him, God, what do you want me to do with what you've already given me? God, what relationships do I need to invest in? God, what do you want me to do with my time? How do you want me to spend my money? How can my things bring you glory and bring you the greatest return? Because to live the life that God is calling you to live will take risk and a willingness to completely abandon our will to his will. But in return, it allows us to live lives of faith that are empowered by God. We know what not to do. We know it's not to ignore the talent, to bury the talent, to avoid it, to pretend like it doesn't exist. And we can't avoid this forever because there will be a day. There will be a day of accountability where the first question that we get asked is, what did you do with my son? And we get to answer for what we did with our relationship with Jesus. But then assuming that that relationship is in order, where we have accepted him and trusted him and submitted to him, then the next thing is, so what did you do with all that I gave you? If their relationship was good, then the works are going to naturally follow. If the relationship is not good, then we're going to hear the excuses, like the one talent servant gave. But for you today, what's the next step that you need to take? The worship team is going to come now to lead us in a final song. And are you willing to go there? Are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to abandon what you may want to have control over to be able to completely submit that to him? Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that we have to be able to come together, to seek you, to learn about you, to learn how to live lives that honor you and bring you glory in absolutely everything. That nothing we have is ours, nothing we have just belongs to us. Everything that we have came from you. And so Father, if there's someone here who's not taken that first step to establish a healthy relationship with you, I pray that this would be the day. That on the 4th of July, 2021, that today would be the day that they turn and they honor you, and they submit their lives to you. And for those of us who have already made that decision before, God, I pray that we would enter into this next moment being willing to be completely abandoned of our own will, of our own desires, of our own trying to control, and that we would let you speak to us. God, speak to us in this moment. I know that you will. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.